Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast. You're listening to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you doing? Excellent. Well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling worse than you are today after a Monday evening of whiskey drinking, which was a big mistake. <laughs> Uh, but perfect timing to talk about platform technologies and uh, and what's been going on in 2021. Um, but first of all, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, hello to our regular listeners. Thanks for coming back. If you join us for the first time, really appreciate you taking the time to listen in. We hope you enjoy it. A world of e-commerce wonder does await. Um, do subscribe to get alerts for new episodes. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify and Apple to, to make us feel better about ourselves. So let's introduce what we're going to talk about today and then we'll get cracking. So we're doing an e-commerce platform digest. We do this every year, um, and our aim is to cover basically uh, three key things today. Number one is the obsession with Headless and Caboz, well, what's been going on, um, why Shopify and BigCommerce are killing it in the SaaS world, uh, and what are things looking like for, for market leaders in things like the Gartner Magic Quadrant, what's happening with a massive organization. So those are three key things. So um, sound good to you, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's some really good uh, topics in the notes. Yeah, big, big, chunky ones. We're going to keep it brief, though, because this is such a big topic that we're not going to send you to sleep with hours and hours of discourse. We're going to pick out all the key things that we've seen in the last year, um, either on the ground and working in projects or what we've noticed in the wider industry. So let's start on headless. Um, now, people seem to, in the industry, seem to be more obsessed with this than client side teams. Everyone talks about being headless, going headless, why you need to be headless composable headless composable headless we're dreaming of a mac christmas it's everywhere so let's let's distill us what have you seen like what which merchants are really embracing it and what is really happening in this space yeah so i think um i mean i still think it's growing and like you know last year everyone had a similar um kind of level of obsession i think my only slight um i think it maybe it's slowed down slightly and i think there's a lot you know there's a lot bigger business businesses investing in the like kind of full end-to-end composable stack um, and headless is a part of that um, but I think last year pre-Unite there's a big trend with Shopify merchants going headless and I think that slowed down a little bit um, mainly because of what Shopify announced around hydrogen in particular um, and then also I think people are just doing more with the new kind of sections everywhere online store 2.0 with Shopify um, I think yeah. We'll come to that. We'll come to that in a minute. Actually, let's park what those mean, and we'll talk about because some people listening might not really get why. Just quickly on that, for those who don't have the context, why were so many people, um, specifically last year or early this year, focused on like headless and Shopify? What what was it trying to solve? Why were people going down that route? Uh, so I think speed was one. Like Shopify's kind of um, previous kind of theme um, approach and architecture is a little bit slower. You know, Shopify have done a lot to make. Um, liquid and all aspects of the front end faster. Um, so that's one. And then the other one was just flexibility and kind of content management. So the new um, approach essentially allows you to use um, sections or kind of components across different templates. And it just gives you a lot more freedom with managing content. And what what type of business um, has been embracing Headless? And where are people not needing it? What have you seen at that? Yeah, so I think, um, as we said before we got started, I think a lot of businesses, you know, that have got a CTO and kind of consider themselves more like technology first or, you know, a technology business or someone that, you know, really wants to provide the best possible experience and, you know, doesn't want any boundaries around the front end and, you know, all aspects of content and data on the front end. 
Um, so I think a lot of those types of businesses, like as an example, like, you know, made.com recently went headless or, you know, like I think Burberry, I don't know if they're live yet, Commerce Tool, you know, those types of businesses, much larger businesses that, you know, want to build this like um, limitless, scalable technology stack. I think there's still a big, um, a big focus on headless and broader kind of technology stacks with those types of businesses. And then I still think a lot of brands are going down this route so you know like the glossiers of the world and and the kind of brands that aspire to be like the glossiers of the world are still kind of going down the headless route first it's the same reason they don't want any kind of boundaries they want to be able to create like the kind of optimal customer experience everything else but i still think um it's it's kind of bigger businesses where they've generally got a technical team and my counter argument i guess not counter argument but i feel like i do speak to a lot more brands nowadays that have gone down the headless route and regret it. Um, typically, people with non-technical uh, teams that work with a Magento or a Shopify primarily, um, where they've kind of been sold to dream a little bit and then realize that it kind of slows them down and the cost of ownership is a bit higher. So I think for me, it's more for still more relevant to the bigger businesses rather than the SMBs. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair call. The, the, the companies that I've seen, Embrace it mainly are those who are with an agency that has productized a headless setup on a platform. So, for example, a Magento SPA, where the work's been done, where you don't have to think about building out a custom front end and all of that complexity and management that goes around it. The agency's already got that product; it's built it. It's it's got the the speed and performance. Um, baked into it, albeit with the fact that it's never 100%. You always need to fine-tune and improve. Um, but yeah, it's, I've, I've not seen so many in the SME market. I, I guess in the last 12 months, I've worked more with SMEs than, than big enterprises. So it's kind of changing the projects. But most people are more worried about functional capability than they are about that engineering flexibility because they're not planned to be a development house. But you're right, the, the the one area where there is a difference where I've seen people diverge from that is is big, fast-growth brands where they want to have greater control of the front end and the experience layer, specifically around digital experience, uh, user journeys, um, and customising that experience and personalization. So I think that's where, where a few brands have, have made that investment and made that leap of faith. Um, but interestingly, on the headless, even some of the, I think there's an obsession though of people talking about having headless when, when there's a big difference between what true headless and true API first is versus just somebody who's decoupled a front end. And there was a great video I watched. So, so John Williams, who's the CTO of Ampliance, runs a really good video series on YouTube, and one of his videos is about what's this difference between headless and decoupled. And and this is, I think, this is a really important point for people to understand is is you can have a headless front end, but you can still be constrained by the logic layer of a platform, which means you can't craft completely unique experiences because you're restrained in terms of what you can do on the front end based on what the data model is behind. And having to understand, I mean, you've got lots of people, I mean, Hybris have got a um, Angular SPA now. Um, lots of these big platforms are launching headless versions, but I think people need to really get under the hood and understand exactly how that works. What, what difference does it make to them versus the standard? Yeah, I think there's also a lot of people that think that headless solves all of the issues that they have with an econ platform as well. Like I was talking to someone recently that on Hybris. Um, they have kind of fundamental issues, I'd say, with their Hybris implementation. And um, they're reviewing whether or not to re-platform. But I think a lot of the business, because they've kind of got so much, they're very kind of intertwined with Hybris and their internal team and everything else. And then they ended up, or well, they very much see headless as like a fix. but um, 
yeah, I don't think it, it always is for sure. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people end up in that position. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there there are examples where um, some sites don't score particularly well for speed and performance, even though they've moved to headless. I was looking at um, a couple of uh, a couple of the big platforms like Hybrisis, et cetera. And there will always be examples of sites that do it really well versus those that don't. And the point here is the technology itself doesn't guarantee you fix the problems like you just said. It's the implementation. And there, you know, I've looked at, I'm not going to name and shame because I don't believe in it, but I've looked at a, a headless set up on a, an angular spa where the speed and performance is awful and i have part of my hunch is is that um because of the way that the spas are rendered it's javascript app that the pre-render version of the site probably isn't working as effective as it should do from an indexation and, and performance point of view so there's there's all these challenges um you suddenly like um, it's like unpeeling the onion and changing of architecture doesn't necessarily make everything perfect but let's move into composable that, that again another buzzword this is what our industry loves doing it's ch- we had headless that wasn't enough let's make it composable to differentiate it has gained traction i think in terms of people talking about it and the benefits and the two biggest players in that are elastic path and commerce tools now Mark, i'm going to give my quick perspective then i'd love to hear where you see see this fit in so elastic path i've still seen it's with bigger, more complex organizations in like pharma, telco, manufacturing. Um, since speaking to a couple of people who've, who've done Elastic Path implementations, it's you need um, greater additional uh, technical maturity. You need more resource. You can't do it if you don't have a, um, any engineering skills internally. You need that that greater level of skill. But they've they've pushed lots of new features this year. Like they've they've built in subscription commerce. Um, they've improved stuff around the product management, pricing. Mer- they've got some cool stuff for B2B as well. They've got merge carts, which is something I've always looked at with other um, platforms, and it, it, you just can't do it, where where um, you can have multiple shopping carts and you can merge uh, anonymous and registered carts easy. So the, mo- that, the, the multiple carts, which came, I think, towards the end of 2020 and is like you know properly, I guess, a mature part of the product now, that seems really cool. Yeah, so I think um, for me, the big one that I've seen grow, continue to grow, I guess, and they've obviously raised a lot of money and they're pretty high profile because some of the brands they work with and clients they work with is commerce tools. Um, and I think one of the interesting things, so I think it was like two or three days ago, they announced the acquisition of Frontastic, uh, which I think is quite interesting because like, one of the things I think a lot of people associate with commerce tools is like the need for a CTO or like a, a, you know, a big technical team and like a big product team um, yeah. because it's usually associated with pretty big technology projects and they historically didn't like have a head essentially. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they come to market with that. I think the other thing with commerce tools is they've built out a lot more connectors with um, different third parties and they've started allowing other third parties to, be, to build pre-built connectors. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how they come to market maybe um, more in the SMB area. So I do get the impression that they're not just building for the enterprise, whereas I feel like Elastic Pass probably still more um, enterprise. But I think Commerce Tools is right now, but it feels like they want to come down market a little bit. Um, I still find Fabric really interesting. I think we've both probably got a similar view on that. Like, um, And I think we'll talk about them more later on, but um, I like the way they're building their product in, in like the kind of modular offering. Um, but I still haven't seen too many implementations and people signing them, but I feel like they've probably got quite a big future just yeah. they've got some really smart people in there and a lot of money behind them yeah i think your point about the, the fantastic and, and 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 commerce tools increasingly working partners to create storefront accelerators is 
makes a massive difference because so so much of the feedback I've I've seen from people who who aren't like digitally mature tech uh, you know IT led businesses is that they just don't they can't conceptualize commerce tools because it's not like going into a big commerce and oh that's where the promotions bit is that's where the it's okay well what do you want it to be and to for too many teams that's too much they just want the toolkit to do what they need to do to trade and merchandise etc so yeah I think having having that ability to go right We've got that. Don't worry. Um, but hey, look, you can now customize all of the logic. You can plug in all of the the the, the um, third parties you want. You can create your own uh, package business capabilities. That then, I guess, gives a future story for for maturity and growth. Is like, well, you'll have the flexibility in the future, and you won't need to replatform. So yeah, in, interesting yeah. development. Um, I think one other thing. So one thing we've come to. I saw a Twitter thread the other day about uh, maybe even yesterday the. Uh, to commerce tools like time to market and I think a lot of commerce tools like there's a lot of projects that go live in two or three months but they're typically MVPs and I think this would uh, maybe be like the with the fantastic proposition potentially um, they might have a bit more of an offering to deliver kind of more of that end-to-end kind of fully fledged project um, a bit faster so it's not just those transformation projects um, I think one of the big change with commerce tools is that they've started working with more um smbs in like the kind of mid-market space as well so vimo have just announced their start work commerce tools i think they've announced that um and there's a few others of kind of like the magento sis that are starting to work with commerce tools which i think is again good for them if they are coming down market just because historically whenever i've had people look at it um the bit the sis were kind of big consultancies or like really big it firms so i think that would be good as well Cool. So this leads us nicely into SaaS. Um, I mean, SaaS is broad reason, but but true true SaaS where platforms that are managing all of the application layer, the hosting, blah, 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 um, and you get on with managing your storefronts and trading. So we're going to focus on Shopify and BigCommerce because they've been really killing it uh, in different ways. Um, you're closer to the Shopify community. So let, let's what has happened, what has changed, what's been released, and what's exciting for merchants? Yeah, I think it's good. We're building quite a good dynamic with you having a bit more of a preference to big commerce and me. Yeah. Uh, more so Conscious bias. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think Shopify's had a really good year. I think there's still a long way to go because they're obviously coming um, up market really quickly and they're working bigger businesses. Um, so there is definitely more that they need to do. But I think the sections everywhere piece that we that, that we talked about earlier that's been in on the cards for a long time. Um, and I think it was first announced two or three years ago, um, is big. And, you know, we've worked with a few sites now that use that, and it is an improvement. It gives, you know, the merchant a lot more flexibility and, you know, the moving more towards kind of like broader components, I think, is a really good move. And I think that will continue to get better. And it's almost like, almost kind of like going towards like that kind of no-code route or kind of, yeah, reducing the reliance on developers as much kind of from an ongoing perspective. So I think that's good. Um, I think more people are building apps due to the commission change. So they, uh, you don't have to pay any commission shop by under, I think it's a million dollars, which is good. So we just released yeah, it. And that's a app. big threshold for smaller app developers. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think they must have lost a lot of money due to that. And straight away, you know, especially with like businesses like Micro Acquire as well, like advocating building apps to sell everything else. I think that kind of yeah. brought out the ecosystem 100%. Um, international is a big one, so there's been improvements. So earlier this year, like right at the start of the year, the price books uh, came out. So you can manage a, uh, you can essentially set prices against 
um, a country per product, which is massive. Um, so that was one of the biggest limitations. And when we've achieved that in the past, there's been significant workarounds and it's been really messy. So that's really good. Um, and then on top of that, you now have markets, which basically just makes it a bit easier and you can assign a domain to different um, territories, et cetera. But there's still definitely more needed on that side. But big move in the right direction. But um, beyond kind of the duties and the currency and everything else, you still need, in my opinion, to be able to add a second warehouse or stock location to the different markets and you need to be able to pay out in local currencies but again massive move in the right direction and then on top of that you've got things like the social integration which i know big commerce have been working on as well uh, the new erp uh, connectors pre-built erp connectors some of the more commonly used yeah. erps uh, meta builds being in the interface and then the big one is kind of the announcement of hydrogen and oxygen and people have started i know people have started working with Hydrogen now, which is essentially Shopify's own kind of um, headless framework, um, which is also open source, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think they're probably the biggest ones. And then, yeah, everyone's still kind of waiting for more um, B2B and the next level of kind of international. Yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, the global ERP, because it feels like um, culturally they're moving away from just being a, hey, we're a really, really cool, easy to set up um, e-commerce a storefront for you to sell on to we're looking at how e-commerce interacts with wider organizational structures and operationally so that there definitely feels like that there's a bit of a maturing of the outlook and a bit of a widening of that the outlook would that be fair to say yeah i think so and i think i think it's clear they're trying to build or like almost commoditize e-commerce and take that really um simple approach at markets um which i think is really cool and they're just trying to simplify all the points of friction around kind of replatforming and scaling an e-com business um i think one other thing that's quite interesting with shopify um that not that many people have spoken about is their recent investment so i think shopify are a bit of a tactical beast in terms of like their strategy um, but like, you know, they, they put money into, I think nearly $200 million into globally pre IPO. Um, they've just put money into Yopo, who I would assume would IPO soon. Um, they did a similar thing with Stripe in the past. And I think that's quite interesting, like looking at how they're working with some of their like closer tech partners. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what role globally could potentially play yeah. in that kind of improvement to international whole piece. Yeah, because the, the the international multi storefront is, is such a classic battle battleground for Shopify and big commerce, and neither of them have anywhere near the capabilities of the likes of Magento, Salesforce. they just don't have that level of flexibility, which is why I still see some people will will go towards a a Magento for that international capability, and they'll take the the uh, other issues you get with Magento that you wouldn't get in in these um like SaaS platforms because of that flexibility. So it's interesting to see that that going. So let's do a quick comparison with Big Commerce then. Um so I from 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 what I've been looking at, there's a couple of big moves and some smart feature stuff on top, but the big moves, strategic moves are B2B. So they always had B2B apps, they bundle B2B, but they've moved that core now so bundle b2b is now core in the b2b edition um so you know you are literally you're in this same interface you've got mature b2b capability it suits most most b2b use cases that aren't really complex so i think when you move into like really complex things like manufacturing it doesn't have 
um, all of the capabilities there. But core things like you know different accounts, tiered accounts, different price books, custom catalogs, quotation management. It's a really good feature set that you can turn on. And the license from from what I've seen in terms of the license fees, it's it's competitive, um, and business cases can be easily made around paying for that uh, addition. It's in its infancy, um, but that is a key area strategically they are pushing. And that's one area at the moment. It has a distinct advantage over Shopify because uh, Shopify hasn't made B2B a, a core part of its its strategy yet. Um, but multi-store, they've made, I mean, they've announced multi-storefront. You have multi-storefront. I guess the one one key difference is you can pay out in, you can do the settlement into multiple currencies, which avoids FX fees. It's one of the reasons some people, if they're selling a lot and can make lots of savings in FX, prefer big commerce. However, it's still constrained. It's not true multi-storefront yet. Um, you can't fully control like URLs. You can't fully control uh, domain structures unless you go into a headless setup and not everyone wants to go headless. If you go headless, then obviously you've got the greater control. So multi-storefront is, is something that they're planning to turbocharge next year. Um, at the moment, to do true multi-storefront in comparison to how a Magento, for example, would do it, you really need to use a PIM, like an Aquino, alongside it um, for product data management, um, getting the product data, the pricing, price launch. A good example is price launching. If you want to launch a price at a specific time um, to different um, countries, it's, it, having enterprise PIM alongside BigCommerce makes life a lot easier. So I think it's got a long way to go, multi-storefront, but it's it's encouraging that they've identified that as a key priority for 2022 and beyond i don't know what's your what's your take on, on what you've seen of bc this year yeah so i mean i, I think um big commerce is still really strong you know they're still growing particularly in europe but um they've obviously won some really good deal i don't know if it was it this year when they signed ted baker i think that's a known thing isn't it? i think that's um that and harvey nicks are big is that what you say do i need to edit this up that's what i say I don't know. Actually, no, I think the TB is all right. I'm not sure about the other one. All right, well, we'll leave it. Um, but yeah, I think they're big wins. And I think those going live will make a big splash for big commerce, to be honest. I think, yes. rightfully, you say about the B2B piece. In my, um, in my mind, you know, they're a bit of an obvious one now for businesses that are kind of either more B2B or at least have a substantial amount of B2B alongside B2C and I like I've recommended quite a few big commerce as well and I know you're a fan of um of that side of things and I think uh Shopify need to improve that I mean they barely have anything they don't I think the big thing with big commerce is they've had price lists in the core platform for a long time where Shopify put that into their wholesale channel but it, it's not integrated enough and yeah. I think that's flexible enough um, but yeah, no, I st- yeah, still see a lot of interest around it. Like I say, picking up good partners, picking up good merchants. So I think they'll continue to grow. Um, yeah, I think Shopify have obviously got a bit of a head start in terms of kind of brands and marketing. Um, but I think like commerce around the kind of technical side and where they're positioning themselves on B2B. Yeah. Got a lot of I, I think where Shopify has been smart is things like its its fulfillment network, which I know is only US at the moment, isn't it? But I'm sure at some point that will expand because a one-stop shop, uh, I mean, it's it's where the likes of um, uh, the Hut Group, THG Ingenuity and Farfetchers have gone with productizing their own platform is, hey, you don't want to do anything. We've got it all ready for you. Where Shopify is a benefit is it's not all baked in and it's not you have to ha- have this platform and you're on our roadmap now. It is you can still 
you know, you can still basically pick and choose the apps you want, but we have these wider services for you if you don't want to set up three PLs, et cetera. We've got a service for you. So I, th- I think that's quite cool. Um, but let's talk about some of the other. Centra, I know that we've, we, we, we had them on the podcast, really strong in Scandinavia. They've got iconic brands like Sanquist. They really push their roadmap, and I've been really impressed by the the I guess the cadence development. And they are, if you did a direct comparison, at least the last time I looked to them, which was probably earlier in the year, they are stronger for multi storefront for international um, than Shopify or Big Commerce. Yeah, but think- they don't have the ecosystem in the UK. Well, I think that's it. Like, so I actually really like Centra. So I did a comparison of them and Shopify for a brand in Scandinavia, but a global brand uh last year and to be honest it's really close and i actually felt centro was stronger in terms of their product offering i think like you say well let, not lets them down but uh, their limitation is that realistically their ecosystem is only in sweden and then like slightly broader in scandinavia but i think they just announced they raised some money i think it was somewhere in the region of like 10 million dollars and i would assume a big part of that must be to come into uh, the UK and then potentially broader and just based on kind of speaking to them a little bit I think that must be on their short-term roadmap but like you say it's a really it's a really strong product you know it's always been headless first they've got some really nice um, you know reference cases really nice partners in Scandinavia that are like you know, very strong creative agencies with good technical offerings um, and also they're really strong for wholesale and international so I yeah. think um, if they do come into the UK I think they'll actually have a really strong proposition if they go and win a couple of good brands. Um, yeah, I think they could quite easily, yeah, have a good kind of proposition in that particular fashion space. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's the SI, but I, I worked on a project where I, I recommended the client they should look at Centra alongside, was, was it Big Commerce or Magenta? I can't remember. Um, but they didn't want to for, for the simple reason that the SI ecosystem was Scandinavian bias and there wasn't uh, uh, there were not enough credible ones or ones that, that that suited that client in the UK and that was too much of a risk. They didn't want to be stuck with an agency that if it wasn't right, that they couldn't move or they they didn't have that easy face-to-face contact. So, you know, that ecosystems do benefit platforms like Shopify massively. Um, let's talk about acquisitions because you mentioned... Um, commerce tools are fantastic. The big one I'm going to pull out and kind of strategic partnerships, integrations, uh, acquisitions is is EpiServer who had bought opt, acquired Optimizely instead of just it, you know basically make bringing Optimizely into their core stack rebranded as Optimizely, which for me is a, uh, it says a significant change in the mindset of you know, EpiServer's heritage was was CMS customer experience, then into commerce, then this wider set with with these modular capabilities, strong on personalization. And we always said um, it was ahead of, of all the other platforms in terms of uh, like A-B testing across stack, A-B testing content, A-B testing merchandising. It was unique, but now rebranders optimizedly basically says we are about testing, optimization, experimentation, which I think is an interesting positioning. Yeah, so I mean, I've not worked as closely with a piece of optimizedly as you have, but I do think their proposition now, like I'd say, start to integrate all different products they've acquired together, um, will be really strong for like experience-led like commerce businesses, um, and I think particularly in the enterprise like that is typically where I've seen them. Um, I think they could have a really strong proposition. I think it's they're probably in that like transition phase at the moment where they're trying to like you know build some of the products together. Um, I know last time we spoke to uh, Joey. 
um, on the podcast. Um, it felt like they'd done that with some of the previous acquisitions, but um, I'm sure they're still doing that with Optimizely. And um, yeah, it does feel like there's going to be a really strong product there. Yeah, it is. And um, what I like about it is it is modular and there are benefits to using the, the full stack, whether you're taking the content management, the commerce, the um, search and merchandising, the optimization, etc. Um, but I like the fact that you could, if you wanted to, use a separate third-party search and merch tool alongside its commerce and content. It is very strong content management. I mean, it's it's consistently rated one of the market leaders um, for digital experience platforms, but it's got the commerce around it. Um, so yeah, it's it, I'm going to be intrigued to see where they where they go and what type of clients they go after because optimizely as a as a test and experimentation platform is at enterprise level not all businesses will have the the resources or the approaches to use that and get the functionality out of it so it does suit certain businesses better than others um what else have you seen any other big acquisitions i was checking things like salesforce acquisitions and actually they haven't had any massive ones that directly impact the commerce Okay. Yeah, I acquired Mobify, but that was a while back, wasn't it? Yeah, that wasn't this year. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't think they've done too much since. Um, in terms of acquisitions, uh, big commerce and feedonomics, obviously. Um, be interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah, because uh, it's not integrated into the platform yet. It's separate and separate license from what I've understood. So it's not yet core. Um, obviously, that will be on the roadmap. Yeah, and then um, so VTEC's quite work area, but that was quite a long time ago. I don't know what the goal of that acquisition was. That's a platform I haven't seen much of at all, to be honest, that I'm actually really surprised by because I thought they would be getting a lot bigger. Um, I think Fabric, I do find interested. I really like how they're structuring their products. It's similarly how you were just talking about Optimizely. Um, so they've got like a number of different modules and I've actually seen more people use their PIM than their e-com platform. Um, and I know a lot of their biggest brands they're working with are actually using the PIM. Um, and I think that's quite a nice way to go to market personally, where they, they've got like an order management product, a PIM, and then yeah. a commerce Um Yeah, I think that's quite good. Um, Salio Lush just launched, so they're one of our clients, um, not on the e-com side, on the page side. Um, and I think that's been a very good project for them. I think it's been a big challenging project, but it's a global rollout. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with them next year. Um, I know other people are looking at them. Other clients have mentioned them. They're getting bigger. Uh, similar with Swell, which I haven't, again, looked at too much, um, but that's getting bigger. More people looking at it. Um, yeah, Commerce Stack. Um, yeah, it feels like um, there's, there's still so many players, but to be honest, the ones that I've, seeing the most remain Shopify commerce tools and big comments. Yeah. They seem to be the big three at the moment. Yeah, and I think, I, I guess to summarise it, because there, there's continuous movement, there's new players, there's people changing their, their strategic vision and capabilities. I always like to, 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 to keep an eye on the, the Magic Quadrant and Gartners and Forrester Waves to see how they're assessing the strategic landscape. And actually, there hasn't been a massive change this year the leaders are still Adobe, SAP, Salesforce, Commerce. And actually, it just feels Commerce Tools is the one that's moved into that leaders thing, actually, because it's expanded vision. But what's interesting is when you look at those, that this is digital commerce quadrants. The leaders have one thing in common, Salesforce, SAP, and Adobe. They are experienced platforms. They've got the, it's almost like it's the classic trilogy of the, the content, the CRM, 
the, the commerce. So they very, seem very similar in terms of how they're building this, this kind of product cloud um, for customers. Then you've got challenges. A Shopify, big commerce, and Optimizely sit in there. Be interesting to see because I think Optimizely out of those is more likely to push into the leaders because of its breadth of capability in the stack. Then you've got visionaries with the likes of Spriker, um, I haven't talked about so much, but B2B, B2C, Marketplace, Elastic Path, VTEX. And then you've got lots of niche players like Shopware, who we talked about, Oro, Kibo from a B2B point of view. Yeah. So it, it, it feels like there's so many other platforms out there, ones we featured on here, ones that you've talked about, like Say Fabric, that don't fit in here. Um, who out of, out of the ones that you mentioned do you think could possibly move into these quadrants and make it onto that hit list? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think that the one, I mean, the two that you just mentioned, Dan, Centra, probably the ones that I think will continue to grow. So I think Centra got a really nice proposition. They just need to go into other markets with it and build out more of an ecosystem. I think Fabric have money behind them, some really smart people in that business as well, some really experienced people from different platforms and different technology businesses. So I think they'll continue to grow. Um, and then I think Spryker have, so I haven't seen much around them, um, but I think they've raised a lot of money recently. Um, so I think they'll start to push more. And like you say, like it's quite a broad platform. Um, I know a few years ago, they, they were working with a lot of the like top SIs. So I would imagine, you know, they still are. Um, and I know they're big in Germany. Yeah. I feel like they've got quite a lot of potential, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that they're probably the ones that I could see continuing. Yeah. I think um, the one that we haven't really talked about platforms uh, that we're, I guess, uh, slight, I'm slightly disappointed. I am disappointed in Magento or Adobe um, because I would have expected them to do more, I guess. Um, even little things like um, I think they probably, like a lot of the platforms we've talked about, particularly the SaaS platforms, I guess, have a layer. They've got kind of like a, a foundational layer, which is configuration. And I think it'd be really good to see Magento kind of build that, you know, in terms of like they've got kind of built-in modules around payment methods, stuff like that. But some of that kind of stuff built into the like cloud um, proposition. Um, yeah, new features, like more on the roadmap. A lot of the stuff they're releasing at the moment is, was announced years ago. Um, so things like the search product, the you know, template for the recommendations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be good to see. And I know there's a lot of talk around them, uh, around Adobe, like improving the architecture and the kind of like underlying technology. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see more because, like you say, they are a leader. You know, they've got this massive um, base of enterprise clients, um, and they do still have a really strong core product. So if that was just accelerated a bit, I still think, you know, they could actually continue to grow in the mid market. Um, but I guess the only thing I would say is I think a lot of the business that they're signing now is, uh, broader Adobe business, whereas Adobe is, uh, where Magento is part of it. Um, and I think there's still a big market for them in there. So, but yeah, I, I feel like it's a bit disappointing to see Magento kind of decline as much as it had in the bit that we, um, the area that I kind of work in. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I get. I, I guess let, let's wrap this up with a summary for people, basically, because I, I think roadmaps and release cadences is, is an important one because it's how active is the platform and the community around it. And it definitely feels like likes of Centra's big commerce Shopify have really stepped up cadence of releases there's so many minor releases but there's also regular major releases 
Adobe has had one major release in 2021. So it, I think it was one. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Th- yeah, they're much slower in roadmap features. What What is that? I guess that's my key, key takeaway of what's been happening is, is some of the, the, the um, you know, more modern SaaS platforms really are stepping up integrations, apps, ecosystem, and building out the wider ecosystem to make it more compelling vision. Um, what's your key takeaway for, for what's happened in 2021? Yeah, I think um, I think it's the same, but you mentioned the word community, and I do feel like big commerce and Shopify in particular are strengthening their community. And I think that's an interesting one because, you know, particularly with Shopify going down the open source route with hydrogen um, and, you know, that move to reduce the barrier to entry with apps, I feel like that's maybe something they haven't been too big on before, but I feel like that's getting better. I think the Magento community, which has been its biggest strength for years, like that was by far its biggest asset. Some of the developers in that space are like ridiculously smart. I think it's just shrinking a lot. And, you know, you've got Hyvo or Hoover or however you pronounce it. Um, that's kind of, I think, moving forward. And, you know, a lot of the smart people from Magento are focusing their attention on that, which is great. Um, but I think that those people are starting to focus more on other technologies and other platforms. And, um, yeah, it feels like some of the kind of front-end layers and big commerce and Shopify are kind of the ones that are really like growing that side more. Cool. Um, let's let's stop on that note because I feel we could carry on endlessly because it's such a large topic. But hopefully this has been useful. We, we've distilled some of the key developments, news, changes to uh, platforms in 2021. We'd love to hear from you. Like, what have you seen? What are the big changes, acquisitions, releases that have got your attention and you think are interesting and worth people knowing about? We'd love to to hear about it because we don't, you know, we don't think we have a monopoly on knowing the platform space. It's so big and complicated. Do get in touch. Do drop us a nine, add comments. We'd love to hear them. And thanks as always for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed it and stay tuned for next week. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.